0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. And on this episode, we have a very special guest. The guerrilla warfare secret weapon, the marketing and uh, advertising assassin in Silicon Valley, Rick Bennett, is here. And um, he is most famous for creating the early ads for both Larry Ellison, founder of Oracle, and Mark Benioff, founder of Salesforce. This guy knows how to do legendary guerrilla marketing that changes the trajectory of companies and categories. And I met Rick, dare I say, Uh, About 25 years ago, when I first moved to Silicon Valley and became a CMO, and he's taught me a lot, and I'm lucky to call him a friend and a mentor, and this master sensei has a lot to teach all of us. And uh, boy, does he uh, ever! Would boy, do we ever get into it on this episode? You're going to love it. Grab a pen and a notepad because uh, you're going to want to take notes. We're sponsored by my friends at Oracle NetSuite. They are the cloud platform for your business, and at times like these, you need a rock solid foundation in the cloud, and that's NetSuite from Oracle. Visit netsuite.com/slash/different for your free product tour today. That's netsuite.com. Slash different. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything, driving business outcomes across security, IT, DevOps, and everywhere data matters. Splunk is the data to everything platform built for the cloud. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. And I also want to tell you about a new project that I've been working on that I'm incredibly proud of with the amazing Eddie Yoon. He's the man who uh, has written more for the Harvard Business Review on Category than anyone else, and the legendary Nicholas Cole, who is one of the most prolific and consumed digital business writers in the world, and that is our new uh, newsletter called Category Pirates, and um, we're delivering some pretty amazing content on category design and category creation. To make sure that you are subscribed, go to Lockhead.com and fill out that little box that pops up. That's L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com
1: Since there's no real news organization in the print media or even in broadcast media, I think you're the new secret weapon. And any smart PR guy is going get, to get you on his Rolodex and he's going to pitch you as frequently as you'll listen to him.
0: That's kind of you to say, Rick.
1: No, no, that's, uh, as Larry Ellison, we look for what is called a media anomaly. Right now, the media anomaly is the Wall Street Journal front page, that little box on the front page of the journal. And uh, you know that you're going to get noticed by people that count if you're in that box. And I found that uh, years ago, the first Oracle ad I did was on the front page of MIS Week, that little front page box.
0: Uh, What did that ad say for Oracle, Rick?
1: It said uh, SQL DS is for IBM's uh, DB2 is now available on the PC. We made it look like editorial and the, the guys weren't smart enough to put the word advertisement across the top of it. And uh, the phone rang off the hook, and that got Larry addicted to advertising.
0: That was what did it?
1: That's what did it. And not only that, but uh, then Mark Benioff, uh, he's now every, every uh, week in the front page of the Wall Street Journal as well. Larry was claiming to be number one in uh, CRM, and I said, Mark, you you're number one in CRM. Why don't you say it? The minute Mark did it, Larry changed his complete advertising uh, on the front page of the Journal.
0: And so when you're working with clients, Rick, how do you advise them and then ultimately create these ads that have such impact with, you know, in some cases, not much real estate.
1: The, the trick is, is, and, uh, one of your, uh, contributors to on your LinkedIn article said, uh, commented on my Ellison's law uh, idea. Don't say anything that a competitor could say. And, uh, he kind of misstated, he said, why not? That includes anything the competitor is now saying. When If the competitor is now saying something, you've got to rebut it and say it's just flatly not true. The trick is not to get sued for libel or slander. And that means you have to use technological intimidation. You can only speak the technological truth.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, you don't call someone a liar. You just say, well, this isn't really true. <laughs> and you prove why. Now Nowadays, uh, you go uh, video. In fact, I would suspect that uh, any good PR guy is going to take your podcast with his client and drop it onto his website and then write an ad that draws people to that website. Uh, the ad just has to get someone online. Uh, things are different today. It used to take us 10 weeks to, uh, to research and find out if something's going to work. Now it takes 10 hours.
0: And so when you go to write, I mean, you're a master at writing legendary uh, headlines and back in the day when you were coming up and certainly when you were mentoring me to your point, the only way we could really know was to run the ad and see today we can experiment digitally. And so how do you think about sort of creating a headline and then testing it? And then what do you need to see before you say, yeah, that's it. Let's invest in that one.
1: Interestingly, uh, Survey Monkey is is really uh, cool because you could target your audience and uh, test a whole bunch of ideas. It's called rhetorical war gaming, and you don't want to measure like Procter and Gamble is is this going to bias one or one and a half percent of the market? You want to do a rhetorical war game, which you you say something and it causes a forty percent difference in your in your uptake on that and so I, I like uh survey monkey a lot i haven't used it a lot recently because i'm really focused on on writing a book uh, and, and praying for there's one client i pray for and that is an artificial intelligence company that has real artificial intelligence i was amazed you know i helped uh, benioff destroy siebel with uh, the, the as targeting siebel i wish i could find an ai company because uh In fact, I have a whole chapter in my new book about real artificial intelligence. The guy is giving a seminar at MIT and saying how all the rest of the MIT, everybody says AI in their name and nobody has AI in reality. (laughs) And that's true for Siebel. That's true. Uh, The best thing I can say about Siebel is they got a great logo. C3 AI is almost as good as the Sun Microsystems logo you know, the little us that make S's and so.
0: It's funny you say this, Rick, because uh, our producer, Jason DeFilippo on his podcast, grumpy old geeks uh, has been saying for eons, it feels like that AI is people. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, well, right now, what is called AI could be done on a spreadsheet in a spreadsheet macro.
0: You think it's that uh, sort of basic?
1: Yeah, very, very basic. And uh, there. Uh, I'm waiting for a real AI company to, uh, out there to say, "Hey, Bennett, could you ca- help us to break into this market?" Because man alive, uh, talk about technological intimidation—you could just murder everybody else out there.
0: So let's maybe let's maybe pretend, if you could, with me. Let's say I was the CEO or the CMO of the ideal AI client that you're looking for, and you wanted to do this rhetorical wargaming. And um take this kind of approach what would you do with me
1: hey, I think I do a uh a survey monkey i add but the the trick is the the payoff the giveaway you need to offer a free product uh that anybody can log on and check out your your AI with and uh, that could be very uh granular and atomic and, and just take off i uh, I took technology uh, public back in nineteen 19- must have been 84 85. And, uh, I was, I, I'm a mathematician. So I was roaming around the developers and I'm uh, talking to these guys. And uh, I found a product, uh, written by a guy named Jim Fixel. And it was a decision making AI uh, product. And I said, we should give this away. Well, <laughs> the, the management uh, of technology said it's too valuable to give away. They wanted to charge $10,000 for it. But if they put, if they'd given that away, just, Hey, here's a disc, use it, you know, live long and prosper. Uh, they, they could have made such a difference in the world because that was, that was real AI.
0: So the trick here is we're going to use uh survey monkey to test some things. We're going to create a headlines with some free offers and yes. give people something free. And then after that, hopefully we've endeared ourselves to them and then they buy our product. Or how do you think about that sort of cycle?
1: It, well, it's going to be tricky. Uh, in other words, uh, here's what this free AI does. If you want full AI capability, uh, and also it can't be uh cloud native. It has to be on your desktop. And here's the reason why people like, uh, Google, Amazon, uh, Microsoft Azure, when they, if they see a query coming from a, uh, uh, a server, a, a, a cloud-based server, they can just cut them off. They could just uh, uh, make it unavailable. But to have it available on your own desktop and, and, and launch it, all these queries, you, you, could, you could do a complete analysis of every news story in the world from Twitter to uh, uh, Facebook to LinkedIn to Google. And your AI, locally based, could aggregate for you. And there's nothing these guys could do to stop you. It'd be unstoppable.
0: So you want to take it off the cloud so the the, the big tech uh, companies can't see what you're doing? Is that, is that sort of the net of it?
1: Well, that's one net. The other is the so the big guys can't uh, uh, either charge you money or turn you off. Yes. There's no way they could knock down the ladder like they did for Parler, which, by the way, uh, I agree with your your take on that. When Parler was promoting uh, murder, they, they violated the uh, AWS terms of service uh, big time.
0: So you agreed with what Amazon did there.
1: There, there has to be some moderation going on. Uh, there are certain things you can't do. And one of them is uh, advocate murder.
0: You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that um, because a lot of people have sort of said what AWS did was wrong because it was not in support of free speech. And as somebody who got deplatformed once by Apple for about six weeks. I saw that. <laughs> they we just dropped an episode with Andre Higodala of the, the Warriors who was the mvp of the the championship one of their championship seasons an incredible ball player a very smart guy and a business guy who became a venture capitalist he's still playing anyway fascinating guy wonderful guy we just dropped that episode he's one of the biggest guests we had had at that point in time and the day after we dropped it apple took us off and we we emailed them we said hey what 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 uh, they were radio silent with us for 6 weeks finally our our listeners started to get upset, and they staged a Twitter, uh, a LinkedIn, and I think Facebook set of uh, posts that said they were moving to Spotify so that they could listen to our podcast. And within 24 hours of sort of a a, a protest on on social media, we were back on. And to this day, Rick, I have no idea why they deplatformed us. Um, they didn't tell us anything and they didn't tell us why they put us back on, but that's what happened. Amazing. And so uh, I believe in free speech very much. And I, and and I think this deplatforming is, is a scary thing, particularly where there's a lack of transparency. There's a lack of warning. There's a lack of any appeals process. Uh, now that said, I do find it interesting your perspective on parlor. You think what was going on there was significant enough and a breach that was significant enough that boom, ADO, AWS did the right thing.
1: As far as I understand the story now, I don't know if they uh, gave them a warning. I don't know if they had an appeals process or if they just shut them down.
0: I don't either. Uh,
1: and, and, and so in the absence of that, it's easy to have a gut reaction. When, when Parler first was bounced out of AWS, I said, man, this is the end of uh, free speech in the world. However, uh, if their assertion uh, is true, that uh, and, I, and I didn't see the specific murder threats in the article that you sent me in uh, on uh, GIMP. But uh, if that was true, then they violated uh, just a fundamental human right. Yes. Uh, and, and they should have been bounced.
0: And this is the part of free speech that never gets talked about, which is we have free speech in our country. But there's two elements here. Number one, Twitter, AWS, Facebook, et cetera. These companies are private companies. And somebody on LinkedIn said to me, saying that those companies need to allow anybody on, it would be like uh, somebody saying that they have the right to be a guest on my podcast just because of free speech. So so private companies have the right to do what they want. That's a legitimate point. Uh, and, and secondarily, probably more importantly, is we have a responsibility when we open our mouths in a public forum, don't we?
1: Oh, uh, I had many arguments with uh, I have a, a, a late judge who I based my second novel on and uh, he said you know there are limits to free speech you don't yell fire in a theater and uh, expect not to uh, to have the consequences uh, on you uh, so th- there's a vibrant argument there that ought to be taking place however the social media companies like Facebook LinkedIn and Twitter they legally are, Immune from uh, lawsuits and prosecution because of uh, violations uh, conducted there. If that immunity was removed, uh, then people could be, uh, let's call it, uh, it might be a more litigious society. But uh, it would be a, a more free speech society where people at least are responsible. Now, unfortunately, uh, free speech is out the window now in the, today's political environment. Uh, well, what do we have on uh, the 20th, uh, the inauguration of Joe Biden? I can't believe that uh, there are people planning to protest in the Utah State Capitol. I mean, I, I, I was very critical of one of my uh, associates who I had his picture taken in the Washington riots. I said, if you were a member of my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you should have been uh, excommunicated.
0: Hmm. What made you feel that way?
1: Well, if anybody that would break into the Capitol and break the law, we, uh, as part of of my church, we believe in obeying the law of the land. That's why we're so uh, uh, allowed to practice in China, allowed to practice in Russia. Whatever the law is, you obey the law. Now, you don't have to do things that are wrong. You can be a conscious and subjector, but you don't act uh, 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 and consciously break the law. So uh, my buddy called and he said, hey, look, I wasn't anywhere inside the Capitol. And I said, OK, I I took down my my criticism of him, which was on LinkedIn. And I just said, hey, you were a demonstrator. You had rights of free speech. You were stupid, though, because that was a mob and mobs get out of hand.
0: Yes. And as you know, I've tried to be pretty active on social media of late on some of these topics. And I couldn't agree with you more, Rick. There's a very big distinction between a uh, peaceful protester, a rioter, a terrorist and a murderer. A very big distinction. And in my criticism of uh, what I believe was a terror attack on the 6th of January uh, 2021, To make it very clear that I understand that there were many people there who are good people, who were not there doing anything horrible, who were there wanting to peacefully protest. And that's exactly what they did. And they went home. And the people that did that, whether I agree with them or not agree with them around what they were protesting about, I believe passionately in civil discourse. And we may not agree on everything, but... That's how we make a more perfect union, is by debating, by discussing, by disagreeing, by pushing and shoving each other, I mean with words, not not physically, and challenging each other. I think that's very, very healthy. There are positions I held when I was in my 20s and 30s and even 40s that I don't hold now. It's called learning. It's called growing. It's called developing. It's called learning from others. Uh, All that, to me, is, is fair game. The minute you break those fences, a whole different game, Right.
1: Oh, absolutely! Well, it's back in my Ellison days. Uh, that's how he he would pick a fight with someone, and on a subject in which they were the expert, and he would win. Uh, my buddy Ken Cohen, who's uh, uh, left Oracle to become a rabbi, he'd walk out of a meeting with Larry and said, "We just had an argument. Uh, we just had a, a a debate on Judaism, and I know I'm right, but he won." <laughs> Uh, that, that was that was how, how smart larry is uh and and to this day uh if if i used a political or uh uh moral value as a litmus test for my my anybody i knew i wouldn't have any clients i mean think about it <laughs> my silicon valley guys are uh for the most part uh, off the charge left Uh, And I don't know where you are. I suspect you're uh, you're you're in in that that hybrid link. Uh, Some ideas conservative, some ideas quite liberal.
0: Exactly. You know, what I'm pissed off about in our country is and I don't know if this is if the data is correct, but I think it's directionally right. There's roughly 10 percent on the left and the right who seem to have lost their minds and they take up a lot of the oxygen and they live in a world of rage. And it used to be that politics was about arguing to solve problems. And now it's just about arguing to continue to argue. And I've had it with roughly 20, 20% of the country on either side holding us fucking hostage. So I'm part of what I describe as the radical middle. I'm an independent. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. And exactly what you said, Rick. I have some, some very right-leaning points of view, particularly around personal freedoms, around the economy, certainly around entrepreneurship uh, and things along those lines. And then more to the left, I believe in Medicare or, or, or medicine for all. I don't think that your net worth should determine whether or not we care for you if something happens to you. I believe in equality and human rights and things that tend to be more, uh, I believe in doing good things for the environment, things that tend to be more on the left And I think a lot of us are like that. And you and I might have some disagreements on the edge and we can argue about that. But you're not insane on the right. I'm not insane on the right of the left. And I think most Americans are somewhere in a spectrum where they can, you know, think as opposed to be such ideologues.
1: I agree. Unfortunately, the guys on the 10 percent on the right and 10 percent on the left, they can hijack a demonstration and turn it into a riot And uh, a a seditious act. Yes. And that's why uh, one of the mantras, in my opinion, ought to be anybody who'd show up at a mass demonstration is a
0: moron. In this environment, I would 100% agree with you. Right now, we need to calm everything down. There were certain times in our history where I think that was appropriate. But today, right now, I think we all need to calm down. And showing up in a big group, you're setting yourself up for something potentially bad to happen. And look... I, can't we all agree? We don't want anyone else to die over a debate around our political views and ideologies. Like we, we don't, I've been saying this for a while, Rick. We will either have civil discourse or we will have civil war. Ultimately, that's where these things land. But I'm curious as to your reaction.
1: I agree with you. Uh, unfortunately, I think civil war is inevitable. As, as my buddy Ken Cohen once said, he figured that we would have a, a world war based upon a religious conflict. Uh, that's not true anymore. As the election and January 6th showed us, we're going to have a breakdown from a bunch of angry people. And Tony Schwartz, who was my mentor, he destroyed Goldwater in 1964 with one ad that ran one time on one network, uh, the Daisy commercial. He said that uh, you can't change people's minds. What you do is need to change the playing field. And I think the, uh, the playing field can't be a, a, a racial debate about the topics because uh, you can't change anybody's mind. So we need to change the playing field. And one idea that I have that I'd like you to think about and your comment is that creativity and genius cannot exist in a state of anger. Hmm. In other words, you get you get angry on either side. You have destroyed your ability to uh, to function creatively, and creativity is, uh, of course, that's why I kind of cloister myself in the pirate cottage here up in uh, in a mountainside, and I try not to let anything destroy creativity. As it is, I turn on the news at five seventeen because I can hear the weather, hmm. and I turn off the news. I I, I just don't want to hear. Uh, Lester Flippin' Holt talk about rioters here when he talked about protesters burning down the cities. Uh, I I think the news is really that visceral hatred of Trump. That's because they got him elected in the first place, and they've been repenting of it ever since. Mm -hmm. But that that anger just can't, uh, I can't let that in my heart, in my mind. Uh, Otherwise, uh, I'm useless.
0: It is an interesting insight. As you say it, I'm sort of swizzling it around in my head. And it makes a lot of sense to me, Rick. When you're angry, there's this giant elephant in your head taking up all this space. When we're not angry, we're open, we're clear. And for me to create, whether it's um, to write an intro outro for a podcast, like once we're done, I'll write the intro outro or write a blog post or work on a new book or we're starting a new uh, newsletter called Category Pirates. I thought you might like that oh, name.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Count me in, then.
0: <laughs> well, we, 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 we might, we, we might uh, solicit you for some contributed articles or, or, or some inspirations for sure. But you're right. When I sit down to do any of those things that certainly you'd call creative, if you're pissed off, if you're upset about something, there's no room for creativity, at least not with me. Maybe
1: that's the, the playing field we talk about. Anger destroys creativity and it destroys progress. Hmm. Forget your political leanings. Forget whether you think the election got stolen like 70 plus million people do or or it was uh, the Democrats just played the game better than Republicans. (laughs) I mean, I look at it from a warfare standpoint and they played the game just perfectly beyond that. If you get angry, you're not going to have a conversation.
0: It's interesting, too, as a student of combat sports, boxing, martial arts, and, and so forth, you see this a lot. Uh, and a dear friend of mine who's a master sensei uh, says, um, the most angry fighter is the one who always loses.
1: Absolutely. Well, think I I, I just was looking for a, a one-thought change, as Tony Schwartz said, change the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Maybe this could work if people bought off onto it. In other words, you could shame people that are angry. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we have a, uh, a reputation-based economy. And uh, right now, if you've got a reputation as an angry person, you have zero value to me.
0: Yes. And further to this point, when debating people online about sensitive topics, I try super hard, Rick, to make it very clear to them, that what I'm interested in is a civil discussion, debate, or even disagreement. That's okay. And that I respect them and their point of view. And if they're respectful and civil with me, I'm going to be respectful and civil with them, regardless of how much I might disagree with them. And it's interesting because, you know, I was never a public person before I started doing any of this shit. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm a public person as it relates to being an author and podcaster. I'm not a public person like Michael Jordan or somebody like that. But even with that little bit of public notoriety, you know, people come at me with a lot of hate and a lot of anger a lot of times. And it's interesting what happens when they start insulting me and saying all these things. And rather than pick up the sword and fight back with them, I accept the insult and I diffuse it and say, listen, I'm just trying to have a civil discussion with you. If you don't want to have one with me, that's okay. But I'm interested in your ideas. And why don't you put down that, you know, calling me names and so forth. And and it completely disarms them.
1: Uh, G Gordon Liddy used to have a radio show. Uh, I, I, I haven't heard him in years. He must've got taken off the air somehow, but uh, no matter how people could be vitriolic against him and insult him, he was always a gentleman back to them. He, they couldn't get him angry. Uh, I made the mistake of, uh, teaching a Sunday school lesson once. And I said, my model for civil civil discussion is a guy named G Gordon Liddy from Watergate fame. And, uh, you should have seen the eyebrows go up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when people insult me, I often respond with, well, you know, you're right. I mean, I'm an uneducated, unintelligent pot smoking, whiskey drooling idiot. Um, so if you're going (laughs) to insult me, you got to get the insults, right. (laughs) <laughs> you yeah, insult me right. over here.
1: <laughs> well, I'm uh, 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 like I say, your uh, your your podcasts and your uh, uh, and your uh, LinkedIn tweets are uh, frequent and uh, very meaningful. Uh, in other words, I I I look at you as someone that I can learn from, and and you're always learning, right? We're we're continuous students. The fact that you do or don't have a college degree is irrelevant because uh, life is a continuous learning process.
0: Rick, I'm so honored that you would say that. I mean, you know, you know, when we first started to work together, I was 28, 29 years old. And so the contribution that you made, the impact that you had on me as a human being and on my career, the things that you taught me. I mean, I absolutely look at you primarily as a mentor and, of course, as a friend. And so that's a very powerful thing for you to say to me. Thank you.
1: You don't realize how much I learned from you. Remember you had a meeting at uh vantage v- vantage one time where uh, a, a company meeting and you had rock and roll music blaring as people walked in the door, man. And I said, that is highly unusual. So whenever I, I subsequently gave speeches and talks, I had music blaring when people walked into the room and, uh, it was, uh, no, Seeger singing Katmandu.
0: <laughs> That's a great song. The guitar in that song is awesome.
1: That's no my phone. Uh, my my phone answering thing. Whenever where their phone rings, I have Seeger going Katmandu. <laughs> and people know. Except when my wife calls, I have her special ringtone. It's a uh, she's so beautiful. A Robert Palmer oh, uh, yeah. uh, song. So music has has become. Uh, Tony Schwartz taught me that, my, my mentor. He said, people have eyelids, they can close their eyes, but they don't have ear lids. And so you can sneak all kinds of stuff in through 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 vid- uh, uh, audio preferences. And that's why uh, marketing now has become a video and an audio uh, thing. Uh, whenever my wife and I watch TV, uh, when a commercial comes on, we turn off the sound and we just look at the faces hmm. and the sound to make so much difference. You don't have ear lids.
0: That's such a great expression. Now, one of the things I've always admired about you and tried to hold close is, is this mindset you taught me, which is imagine your client's dollars that you're going to spend in an ad are the last dollars.
1: On the planet, yeah.
0: Could we, with one ad, change the—if if one ad represented whether this company is going to be successful or not, and it's their last dollars— what would that ad be? You, you taught me that so many years ago, and I'm curious as you take that mindset. You know, what's the advice you have for entrepreneurs and marketers around how to how to utilize that mindset effectively?
1: First, probably fire their entire marcom department <laughs> because the uh, uh, the the low level marketing pukes have a way of causing you to spin at the the mere suggestion of thought by the uh, president and CEO. And therefore, if the president and CEO has that much effect, I only deal with CEOs. When I get a call from a marketing guy, I go, you know, you know, I, I can do a lot of stuff, but you just cause me to spin around as you're trying to uh, uh, obey the, uh, what you think are the demands of your CEO. Larry Ellison was always and is still the, uh, the head of marketing at Oracle.
0: He's been the CMO since day one and still is, right?
1: Absolutely. Even though he's got a title of the uh, chief uh, uh, technology officer, uh, he is a smart guy and a, a good technologist. He could do the technology guy's job better than they can, but he lets them do it. Well, the same is true with marketing.
0: Does he still see every press release that comes out, do you think?
1: I don't know about every press release, but I do know that uh, there's no Oracle ad that appears that doesn't have his uh, fingerprint on it.
0: And is the same kind of thing true with Benioff? Uh,
1: Mark is a little better delegator uh, than Larry was. And so a lot of stuff happens that that Mark entrusts his people. He empowers his people. And uh, that's a mistake because when I send him an idea... Uh, he says, that's a great idea. He passed it on to his people and they do what I call malicious obedience. Hmm. They go, well, we could do better. Right. You know, that's not our idea. Therefore we're not going to do it. Uh, I suggested he do some things in the AI area that he didn't do. And, uh, now Siebel has completely, uh, interrupted him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, my, my last note to Mark was, uh, you got you to gotta fight the AI war. Yes. And that means going after Siebel and C3 AI.
0: And of course, they just went public quite successfully, didn't they?
1: Yes. That's the second time around. I mean, uh, when uh, he talks artificial intelligence, there's only one word that is true in that, and that's artificial. <laughs> there's nothing, nothing intelligent about it.
0: Uh.
1: <laughs> oh, heaven help me.
0: Now, I do find it interesting. It seems so stupid that so many marketing departments destroy great creativity, great ideas. I remember years ago, Rick, uh, we had hired this agency to create a new brochure for us. And we wanted it to be something that when people got it, we, we called it a grenade. We wanted when somebody got it, that it, it stopped their day, right? So we wanted to create something legendary. And we hired these incredibly smart guys uh, led by a, a, a guy who's now become a buddy of mine named John Bühlenberg. Anyway, they came in, they presented us with this thing. I could describe it if you want, but the net of it was, I thought it was absolutely legendary. I sat there, they presented it to me. I read it. I looked at it. And here's the first thing I said to them don't let us fuck this up (laughs) because I knew, you know, this was back in the science days. We were still an early stage startup, but I knew the gremlins would try to get it and soften it or change it or quote unquote, add value to it or whatever the thing they thought they were doing. And so when we as marketers are presented with a legendary piece of work a headline an ad copy, in this case, a brochure, whatever it is, how do we make sure, you know, as a CEO, as a CMO, that the gremlins don't destroy this legendary piece of work.
1: Interesting. The gremlins, unfortunately, have to add value to themselves. In other words, if they don't raise an objection, then they aren't doing their jobs. It's like when you run ads by an attorney. Uh, Can we run this? The attorneys will always say no. Several times at, at Oracle and at Salesforce, they say, shouldn't we present this to the legal department? And... Larry said, help. I got a legal department. Let them, I got a litigation department. Let them litigate. Right. In other words, uh, consider all the bad things that could happen. They generally never do happen. And to this day, I've never been sued for an ad that, uh, one of my clients has run. Hmm. They've never been sued hmm. because, uh, I don't break the law or the moral law. I, I simply, uh, Technological intimidation. I mean, I'm a mathematician. You can kill somebody based upon uh, pure, pure logic.
0: Well, so one of my favorite ads of yours of all time, if I remember the headline right, for Oracle, you know, back in the day when when they were competing against Ask, Ask, ah, you yep. wrote that legendary headline: "Oracle kicks Ask and takes names."
1: We're kicking Ask and taking names. I confess that's one of my favorite ads. It's <laughs> one that. of mine too. <laughs>
0: And so how do you get an ad like that through legal, through the gremlins who say, oh, we can't say that, that's inflammatory, or that's this, or that's that, or how do you get an ad like that, particularly in a you know politically correct world that we're now living in, how do you get an ad like that done?
1: Good question, because uh, I have fewer and fewer CEOs who are willing to bite the bullet and, and say, let's go with it. Uh, to hell with legal, let's run it. I mean, Larry uh, uh, Benioff. He 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 didn't uh, uh, run anything by legal when we were attacking Siebel with "Don't give my lunch money to Siebel Or uh,
0: another one of the great uh, headlines of all time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, with a kid writing on the chalkboard, uh, those didn't go to legal. Yeah. And, and so the answer to the question is, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure it's possible
0: today. And if it is possible, it takes a CEO and maybe a CMO with a high level of courage and vision or how would you describe it
1: they have to to really be involved with their company and to have have the guts to do damage control i remember one time we ran an ad at oracle with all of the logos of the top 10 fortune companies saying 10 of the top 10 fortune companies use oracle and then turns out atlantic richfield in chicago said we dispute that you used our logo without our permission. Well, several of the companies, the oil companies, said you used our logo without our permission. And Larry's answer to them through his legal department was oh, that crazy ad agency, we're gonna reprimand him. Right. Uh, the, the one that Atlantic, Maniac Rick,
0: Rick, Benton, Rick Bennett. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Atlantic Richfield said, We defy you to find well. I had found yeah. again, I'm a technical, I, I logged into the customer database and I found Atlantic Richfield Arco in Chicago had had got a a, a test version of Oracle online and they returned it. Mm. I didn't know they returned it. So it was untrue. And so Gary Kennedy, who later became president of Oracle, uh, said, you've killed us at Atlantic Richfield. Uh, they're all up in arms about not having Oracle. Well, about six months later, I think it was six months, I've got to remember, I have it written down in my books, um, uh, Gary said, we just closed a $2 million site license at Atlantic Richfield because all of the executives were talking about nothing but Oracle. <laughs> and, and so the the big risk is giving you the opportunity to do damage control. Yes. I named John Battleman. I, I, I ran a, a series of ads about El, Elvira. Elvira was the I remember. queen of the night.
0: Yes. And she wore those plunging necklines and she looked like yeah, a...
1: Yeah. And uh, John Bannelman got a, a call from a female executive down in Texas saying, how dare you treat women as objects like that? And John calmed her down and, and told her what he did. And uh, just a few months later, they were having dinner together because they signed a big contract. And John looked at her and he said, would you be having dinner with me now if I hadn't run Elvira? And she sat back and she laughed and she said, no, I guess not. So the worst that could happen is you do damage control. Yes. If you violate somebody else's copyright and they send you a cease and desist order, then you uh, you either cease and desist or you uh, take a picture of that uh, cease and desist letter and run it as an ad. Yes. But there's all kinds, <laughs> of, damage, all kinds of damage control options.
0: You know, the interesting thing I'm reminded of, Um, back around the iPhone launch when, of course, Steve Jobs was still around, um, a lot of people forget um, the iPhone was a trademark of Cisco Systems. And, of course, iPod had been successful and iMac had been successful. And Steve Jobs said, we're calling it the iPhone. And the stories that I've read suggest, and I've talked to some people who were there, so it seems to triangulate. That a lot of people, legal included at Apple, said, "Hey, um, we can't use iPhone. This is a trademark of Oracle, and uh, excuse me, of uh, Cisco." Yeah. And Steve Jobs said, "Fuck it. We, we we are using i everywhere. This is an iPhone, and and we are launching this product. And if we have to deal with Cisco and, the you know the 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 legal system afterwards, then we'll do that. But this is a fucking iPhone. Damn the torpedoes." And um, I know there was some legal back and forth. I can't remember if they paid the money or what they did, but to your point, jobs wouldn't let the lawyers tell him what he could and couldn't you could or can't uh, or can do. He just did it.
1: Well, I got a great story about jobs that uh, I, I don't remember where it appeared. And uh, you could probably have a more encyclopedic uh, memory than I do. But uh, Larry Ellison, when jobs was out of Apple, Larry went to jobs and said, Hey, we could buy Apple, and oh, we'll both make a lot of money. And, uh, jobs said, no, I want to take the, the moral high ground. I want to go back under their terms. Hmm. And Larry's answer was that moral high ground is very expensive real estate.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. And of course, uh, you know, jobs ended up doing okay with his strategy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I'm. Uh, we lost. We lost a great one there.
0: It' a horrible tragedy.
1: Although we have another, we have another, another great one uh, with Elon Musk. He, uh, in fact, his latest. Uh, I Think I saw the headline today is uh, telling executives uh, don't do PowerPoint presentations anymore. You yes. saw that on LinkedIn. Yes. This is crazy. Go do stuff.
0: He's been taking a lot of positions about what people in leadership should do. He's uh, pissing on MBAs and telling people to stop having so, so many meetings and get out and see customers and get out on the shop floor. And he he seems to be espousing his own uh, Peter Drucker esque doctrine of late.
1: Well, and he's moving to Texas along with Oracle.
0: <laughs> well, you know what uh, we're calling it around here, the Texas.
1: Uh, that's a good, good line.
0: That good Silicon Locked. Valley is experiencing a texodus right now. And it's so much so, Rick, you'll love this story. I got a text message a couple months ago now from a, a very high profile CEO. Say, and he says, the text message says, hey, Lockhead, we are all moving to Texas, Austin, and you need to come with us. And here's a list of who's going. And here's a real estate agent, and we are moving Silicon Valley to Austin, and you need to come. And it was, and he was essentially berating me into moving to <laughs> to Austin, Texas. That's how sort of guttural uh, some leaders in Silicon Valley feel about what's going on and, and the need to move to Austin. Well,
1: you could you, you can walk to the beach from your house, though. And you walk to the beach in Texas, you're going to have to leave your house every hurricane.
0: Yeah, my point is the surfing sucks.
1: Well, not only that, but your clothes uh, stick to you with the humidity.
0: Well, that's the other thing. It's like, um, hey, have you guys ever been there in the summer? Uh, (laughs) You might be in for a surprise. And of course, you know, this is a side note, but, you know, my wife's uh, whole family is here. Her parents are here. And, uh, you know, it just some of us can't just pick up and move because we're committed to things more than just ourselves. As pissed off as I might be at the mismanagement in California and Silicon Valley.
1: Uh, but you've not you've not pulled your punches.
0: No, I have not.
1: You talked about the, the failed uh, state of
0: uh, politics there. I believe California is a failed state.
1: You're never angry about it. That's good.
0: Well, I I, I save my anger before I go public with anything. I, I I'd be less than candid if I didn't tell you, Rick, that I am angry at Newsom for two big things. One the virus, and two, his mismanagement of that, and two, the fires. Oh, yeah, yeah. To me, political leaders, job one is to protect the country, in this case, the state, and the citizenry, and he did nothing on the fires, and of course, uh, California became the epicenter of C-19 in the United States, and I think those two things were, were fairly preventable if, if he had been forward-leaning on his skis, and he was not. And I think he needs to go as a result.
1: Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. It's it's difficult. Although, like I say, I I abandon reality and I don't watch the news. uh, (laughs) What I do get is the front page of the Wall Street Journal. That's where I pick up the news. Yeah. That left-hand column has everything that matters.
0: Hmm. Now, I want to go back to competition because I see uh, a lot of marketers making big mistakes about how they reference competition in their marketing, in their advertising, in their communications. And so what's the Rick Bennett lens on how to use a competitor in our marketing?
1: You don't want to risk uh, legitimizing them by mentioning them. That's that's the first rule. But beyond that, if they're doing something terribly, terribly wrong, then you could. uh, Now I have a new uh, expression I use. You could Donald Trump them. Hmm. And that is you could uh, make everybody hate them. And uh, I I would say Donald Trump now is one of the most hated men in the uh, country. He's even those who are backing him have not been able to withstand the onslaught of uh, the media.
0: Uh, the uh, the Democrats. Geraldo Rivera came out against him, of all people. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. And, and so I, I see companies make this mistake. I'll, I'll give you an example of, of a successful company because I, I don't want to shit on somebody who's not successful. But uh, the folks at Slack, when Microsoft sort of launched Teams, they ran a, I think it was a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal, if my memory's right, was sort of a letter welcoming them into the category and, and to me, it read like a CEO who was shitting himself and, to your point, legitimizing Microsoft and, frankly, notifying the category that Microsoft was coming. And it, it seemed those sorts of things seem like a mistake to me. But I'm curious what you think.
1: Uh, no, that was a mistake, too. Uh, uh, Microsoft has deep pockets and they play the long game.
0: Uh, the way long son, game, right?
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. My, my son is the head of uh, uh, databases for the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and they have moved a lot of their database work to uh, Microsoft SQL Server. Mm-hmm. Now they still have a lot of Oracle databases in the in the church that uh, Oracle can do things that SQL Server still can't do, but Oracle in their customer relationship. Uh, uh, department has so alienated the uh, the church that they look for reasons to dump Oracle yeah. if they can technically do it. And th- and Microsoft played this long game with SQL Server coming in into in the church. And so uh, Microsoft is is a unique company that you you want to play the you want to play the long game too. I think they should have ignored Microsoft.
0: Yep, yeah. that was my take too.
1: He was doing an investor call. Somebody's going to ask him on the investor call about Microsoft. He's going to say, oh, they're not an issue. Next, right. next question. Next question.
0: Dismiss. Yes. So that that's something that I think a lot of people don't get, which is oftentimes dismissal is the right answer.
1: It is. It is. In fact, one of the things uh, that I've done several times with various clients is you mentioned their competitors in your ads but you don't mention the ones you're scared of. You, you, you ignore them. And that really pisses off the people you ignore. <laughs> they go, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're up here. Why did why, why? he didn't even mention us?
0: Which brings me to another thing that you taught me, although I don't know if you ever explicitly said it. So I, I, I want to make sure I got it, which is don't punch down. So if you're the bigger company, you're the emerging category king, and there's a competitor that's trying to call you out, uh, don't take the bait. But uh, I, I inferred that. How do you think about it when a, when a scrappy or startup or smaller company is trying to get your attention with their marketing? What, what do you think you do?
1: It, it, it's all a function of how they're how they're going to try to do it. Uh, if, if they've got a legitimate, uh, uh story to tell, uh, you've got a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is it? You said something in one of your blogs and I can't remember it's, uh, uh, marketing is for when you've got a shitty product.
0: Yes. Yeah, some people, I had a CEO tell me this, that marketing is what you do when you have a shitty product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so if you've got a, a shitty product, you had better correct it. Yes. And, and forget marketing. You know, go to R and D and say you guys have uh, twenty four hours to come up with a plan. Yes, but if uh, they they don't have a legitimate uh, claim, then you uh, uh, then you've got to
0: smack them smack them like a fly. Uh, the other interesting thing is, uh, back in the day with Oracle, you and Larry took credit, if I can call it that, anytime a competitor had a misstep or a missed quarter or anything like that, and. Oracle may or may not have had anything to do with it, but any misfortune that seemed to come from uh, the way of a competitor, um, it seemed like Oracle took credit of that misfortune.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I I take a different view. We were correct. Mm. When we ran the We Kick Ask, Ask pre-announced products that they couldn't deliver and it killed their quarter-to-quarter profitability and they got acquired by CA. Simple. Yep. It just... and we took credit for that because it was true. I can't remember anything we took credit for that wasn't true.
0: So when you cause a competitor to stumble and in this case fail and ultimately go to the, the graveyard of software, CA, uh, be loud and proud about it.
1: I think so. I think so. Although that's not politically correct now. Yeah. I mean, this is people's lives, their jobs, their livelihood. I used to have the attitude: uh, at least that gives these people a chance to go to work for a company that they can make a contribution to. Yes. And get out of a bankrupt ecosystem. Yes. That's probably that's not politically correct now.
0: No, it's not. But I tell people all the time: if you work for a shitty company, you're shitty.
1: you can't strut into a into a meeting. What uh, what my clients do is they can strut into a sales meeting knowing that they're the king of the hill.
0: So let's talk about that. How does marketing conduct itself such that the sales team has that moxie, has that swagger, ha- can strut like that? What are the things that we do in marketing to make the sales force feel and act that way?
1: Uh, you have to brag about your your superiority, your, your uniqueness. And so they can walk in to a meeting saying, I am unique. Hmm. And they strut because they know they're the king of the hill. They're the only ones on the planet that could do this thing. Yes. And it causes all their competition to become defensive.
0: Which leads me to another thing. As I've done this over the years, Rick, I've come to this place where I think, hmm, the value of marketing internally is at least... Uh, as important as it is externally, and, and it might even be more as it relates to creating culture and creating that swagger and that belief. But I'm curious as to your thoughts about sort of the role of marketing internally.
1: Oh it, it, well, there's 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 five audiences. Uh, if I can remember all five of them and not have a senior moment, you've got <laughs> your investors. no, no, you've got your investors. You don't want them feeling like they have buyer's remorse for investing in your company. You have your employees. Who you don't want uh, uh, feeling inferior to the competition. You have your uh, your sales force who you want to be able to strut into the the meetings, and you have uh, your potential customers who they said, "I, I know I-, I know these guys. I mean, I've heard about them. They're they're." Uh, uh, they're outrageous, and I want to work with them. And you have your competitors. Ah, that's the fifth one. You want to demoralize the generals of the opposing army. That had an effect upon Siebel, by the way, when uh, Benioff first uh, decided to, to uh, attack him. Uh, I talked to Bruce Cleveland, who uh, Cleveland said when he saw that, that I will not give my lunch money to Siebel ad. Uh, Siebel went completely crazy and never recovered. Hmm. Bruce, by the way, did something for C3 AI, which I'm, uh, I'm ashamed of myself. He published on LinkedIn, uh, you know, Ted Codd and CJ Date did a here's what relational is uh, way back when. Here's what a true relational database is. Well, Bruce wanted to do that for AI. And so he wrote a paper on here's what true AI is. I flamed him on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I said, Bruce, you wouldn't know AI. If it bit you in the ass, <laughs> this is what Jeff Walker told me when I joined tenfold. He said, you wouldn't know a good application, but bit you in the ass there. Well, i would written operating systems before. I've written a 700 byte operating system for a Nova computer. So I kind of thought I knew everything there was to know. But instead of behaving like a teenager and getting pissed off and leaving, I looked into it. And it turned out I didn't know a good application from my, my, my ass.
0: So he was right.
1: And, and, and uh, I, I had to learn. And so I I said, I flamed Bruce and I said, you wouldn't know AI if it bit you. And uh, he sent me an email saying, Rick, could you maybe send me an email on what you mean? And I realized I shouldn't have flamed him publicly. I should have sent that email. So I, I said, Bruce, I apologize. I deleted that posting. But I said, uh, I'm writing a novel on real AI. And, uh, uh, I'm not going to give away my, uh, the farm. I'm not going to give away my, uh, my magic beans that you're going to plant. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, did that. So, and he thanked me for, uh, for getting rid of the uh, posting, but, uh, life is interesting. And, uh, we have some wars to fight here in the technology area. And, uh, uh, until I find some AI client that's willing to uh, say, "Okay, let's go on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and and uh, and tell them that the emperor is naked." Yes, and that is really true right now. I mean, what a brilliant move that Siebel did. Their New York Stock Exchange symbol is AI. Hmm. What a brilliant move! I mean, it was like uh, Benioff's uh, stock exchange symbol was CRM. Yeah, should have been AI too it <laughs> should be promoting ai cuz they uh, uh, benioff has better ai than Siebel does
0: interesting now i want to go so the five audiences investors employees sales prospects customers and competition right on the competition thing years ago you taught me this and i i i it over and over and over again we want to do marketing that causes emergency board meetings and ceo firings at our competition absolutely absolutely amen and so how do we do that if we say hey listen part of what we are doing here is destroying the psyche destroying the morale of the sales force of our competition of of the ceo like you talked about when 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 you were working with Benny Off and how you drove siebel crazy because if we get back to the anger thing if we can make them angry we take them off their game. If we can make them upset, we take them off their game. And most importantly, if we make them think that the minute they discover they're in a deal that we're in, they're going to lose. And so how does marketing set that, if you will, trap for the competition from the beginning?
1: Uh, well, with uh, uh, Oracle, we uh, did the same thing with Ashton Tate. Ashton Tate was about to bring their database onto the VAX. At that time, the VAX was Oracle's bread and butter. We we just ran the, the, uh, in fact, I have it in front of me here. You can't see it. Is this the one with
0: the two planes?
1: Yeah, Oracle is the last DBMS. Hmm. Uh, And then uh, uh, digital equipment, same thing. They uh, they were going to give away RDB free on the VAX. And so we ran an ad uh, saying, even if RDB were free, you wouldn't want it.
0: So you cut them off at the knees. We
1: cut them, cut them off at the pass. And, and eventually they turned RDB over to, to Oracle.
0: And so, again, you have to have the guts. In this case, a competitor who's at the time a category king. The VAX was, you tell me, if not the most important uh, corporate computing platform, certainly one of a very few Uh, I remember there was a point in time in the history of our industry where the best sales job you could get was selling Vaxes for, for Digital Equipment Corporation. And so if you're Oracle, you're the upcoming upstart. They're about to give away your product, which represents the mass majority of your revenue, away for free to try to drive you out of business. And somehow you find the courage to say what you just said.
1: Absolutely. But you have to have a little bit of good intelligence too, which is not hard today because uh, of social media.
0: In other words, they can they're, the competition telegraphs what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, what I, I have a number of Google alerts set up, so when I hear something happening, Google alerts are a, a rather marvelous tool for a marketeer to have. You just got to set them up uh, properly so that you get notified before somebody's going to do something.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, just be willing to act quickly on telegraphed intelligence from the bad guys.
1: Well, and, but that means acting quickly, and that means generally, if the CEO is running marketing, it, it's going to be better than if you have uh, the low-level minions saying, "Oh, I don't know, should we tell Joe about this? I don't know, Joe's busy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Give some alternatives. Give it, give us a, a, a you know a, a light, medium, and heavy uh, execution of this idea. And uh, this is not my plan. When I when I come up with an ad idea, it's uh, one idea. I sent the comp to him and the, the hit header on the email is, you better be sitting down before you read this.
0: You know, and that's something I learned from you as well, Um when when I work on a category design, a category name, a point of view that expresses the problem and therefore the solution, all the good things that around category design and the marketing to support it, um, I don't go in and say, here are three options.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I say, yeah.
0: this is the answer. One thing. And y- you taught me that. And so many agencies make this mistake, right? They come in with five options or three options and then some stupid debate ends up well can we take the thing from this thing and that and and and, and look sometimes i guess that can work i don't want to be overly dismissive but for the most part um I, I haven't found that to be super effective
1: agreed amen brother you're speaking <laughs> <the choir> here
0: <laughs> give him the one answer and let's debate that answer <laughs>
1: But the problem is they'll come back and say, you know, all, you know, all the big agencies, they come in with a whole uh, bunch of uh, comps uh, and they fill the whole front of the room with them. And uh, I go, well, that's not me.
0: This is something that Costco has taught us, right? People don't actually want choice. They don't need 15 different choices for toilet paper. Maybe give them one or two and that's it.
1: Well, and and the one or two, and, and no pun intended, but uh, Costco's uh, the Kirtland brand of toilet paper is definitely number two. <laughs> compared to compared to Sherman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Rick, I could clearly talk about life and and marketing and business and politics with you forever. And if you're amenable to it, I'd love to have you back on a on a somewhat regular basis. But I also want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on today?
1: If an AI client is looking at you and there are a bunch of guys in a garage with real AI, I work cheap, I'll accept equity in the company. We gotta go kill something. That's that that that's the, the, the be all and end all because AI is on everybody's mind right now. And it's it's just a marketing hype. It's just a hype. You show me something the current AI couldn't do with a uh, macro and a spreadsheet and maybe some speech recognition. And uh, uh, it,
0: it's all normal. So you're looking for an AI company with with truly AI technology and the courage to go get after it and, and, and uh, commandeer the category, so to speak.
1: And, and the willingness to offer a free application, a proof of concept, to anybody who logs in.
0: All right. I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open for you, Eric. Anything else, brother?
1: Other than that, uh, life is going to be good once I'm immune from COVID.
0: Well, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, you, you and your gal are getting vaccinated and hopefully the rest of us will be here uh, shortly. And, um, it is an amazing thing that, uh, humanity,
1: I do put a couple thousand miles a year on my bicycle still. Well, you look great, brother. Hey, you're looking good, too. And uh I, I love the guitars.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I, I have
1: my keyboard here. I'm, I'm writing a uh, a rock opera based on my first novel that I'd like to produce as a Broadway play. Uh, that's down the road. But I do have a Fender bass guitar in the other room.
0: I love that you are just nonstop creativity on all kinds of dimensions, Rick.
1: Well, my pleasure. And remember, the rule is anger destroys creativity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You got to figure that out. Get that idea out there.
0: Well, thank you, brother. And I sure hope you come back. Now that we have this marketing podcast, we have a platform for it. And if you're willing, I'd love to have you back on a semi-regular basis. I'll take as much of you as you'll give me. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you, brother. Talk to you later. Love you. Love you too. Very much. Well, there he is. Silicon Valley's secret weapon, the marketing assassin, Rick Bennett. And we would like to thank him, the Master Sensei, for coming to hang out. You can visit him at rickbennett.com. That's R I C K B E N N E tt.com, rickbennett.com. Don't forget to go to lockhead.com and sign up for the new newsletter authority on category design category pirates at L-O-C-H-E-A-D. com. My friends at one life fully live.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan and live your best life. Check them out. They've been making a difference for underserved communities in the United States of America for over a decade and if you want to make a difference there, the number one LifeFullyLived.org. Remember to check out the OGs, uh, Reese and Trout. Check out all their books, Positioning, uh, 22 Law, Immutable Laws of Marketing, and so many others, Reese and Trout. If you want to do legendary marketing in the excited kingdom, check out my friends in London at PositiveMarketing.com. And uh, now's the time to make a difference if you can. So dig deep, make a difference to a food bank, a faith-based organization, or anyone else in your community that is helping people in need right now. Because, man, there's a lot of people in need. All right. I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And it does go better with libations. Don't forget to consult your lamen, Your Laman? <laughs> yeah, I think your, a lawman is a new category, a lawyer and a shaman. Your mystic, your doctor, your trainer, your sensei, your spouse, and of course your marketing assassin and bartender before acting on any information on today's episode. If you like this podcast enough to listen to it, why not share it with your whole marketing and startup team? Uh, please don't forget to tip your waitstaff. Check out podcastmagazine.com and get your lifetime free subscription at podcastmagazine.com slash free. And there you can go beyond the mic and uh, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Don't forget to attack your competition like a pack of speed crazed wolverines. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J. do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by uh, the wonderful Diane Gervasio, and Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. Check out Follow Your Different, episode 202, with Harvard's top astronomer, Dr. Loeb, says we've been visited by aliens, and he's not kidding. That's Follow Your Different, number 202. Stay safe. Stay legendary, follow your different, and the thought I will leave you with comes from General Stan McChrystal, who said, if I told you that you were not going home until we win, what would you do differently?